We were singing about this, about real freedom and about freedom of access. Now, the verse that we that we were singing, I don't know if you recognized it, and this was in some of the early worship kind of as we were uh, getting started. It's this, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? We were singing that. And, and this, is, this is what we want to talk because this verse is really about Oh, the access into the presence of God. We have freedom. And we sing that. And that song is so deep and so powerful. So I want to just kind of soak that in. Now, we're going to look at several other passages. And I want you to be ready uh, to look at them, make a note of them, and follow along with us. But where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What does that mean? Um, And as I say about freedom of access... You know, access is a very important thing because, I mean, like, um, you know, that's one of the hallmarks of real freedom, isn't it? That uh, we, have, we, we're, we have freedom in this nation that we live in, in a sense, that we can do a lot of things. We can go a lot of places. We can say things that, did you know, in a lot of countries they can't do. That, that, that's true. I mean, we can even do like we did a week or so ago. We can travel from state to state, and they're not stopping us and searching us or anything. I mean, even trying to control this virus, we allowed more restrictions to be placed on it, and none of us liked it very much. I mean, there are some countries that that would be nothing. You can't speak against the government in some countries, or you'll be arrested and thrown into... And you know, there's places, North Korea, for instance, and places that have still, like, concentration camps. And, and there are nations that, if you don't agree with their agenda, they actually put you in, like, a prison and try to uh, brainwash you, reprogram your mind in that way. And uh, we live in the midst of a culture that's constantly trying to do that. That's why going into this next series, we need to be in the word of God and letting the creator of the universe renew our mind. But, um, you know, we can, we can pretty much do a lot of things we want to do. We even have the freedom in our constitution to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And, and you know, you read through the Bill of Rights and you see in the parts there where, where it's against unlawful searches and seizures and that, that soldiers and officials can't just come into your home and take over your house and live there as long as they want. You know, the quartering act, all that. And, you know, can you imagine what it was like if all of a sudden people just come and say, hey, we're taking over your house for now and things like that. I mean, this, you know, we've, we've been so spoiled living in the day that we live in with the freedoms that we have. But uh, so we've got access to things that are illegal for a lot of people to have. So freedom and access go together. But imagine, imagine what it would be like if that, uh, so, so if I had in my office this red phone and I could pick it up anytime I wanted to and I could call and the president of the United States would answer. He'd just like be waiting on my call. And it's like, yeah, what is it? What is it you guys say? I'm upset about something. I don't agree with something. And that he would listen to it and that, that, that he would care about what I have to say. I mean, that would just like, no matter who the president is, that would be like, wow, you can't. See, nowadays there's like a, a fence around the White House. You know, you can't just like go in there. But, but what if you could just march in there and go right into the West Wing anytime you want to do, plop down in the Oval Office and say, hey, I need to talk. 
See, we can't imagine that. But here's what this verse is really about. I'm going to throw it at you. Is that as a child of God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of the presence of his spirit in us, we have the right that was purchased by Christ. We have the ability to go right to the throne of the universe. The God who created and holds all things together. And we have access to his very presence. And his presence has access to us. I'm telling you, we have no clue what we have. Or we would be jumping up and down and shouting about it. And I think the problem is, is that we have an enemy. And the enemy's idea is to steal our freedom. Destroy our freedom. He can't stand the freedom that you have. Your freedom in Christ is the most precious thing that you have. It was purchased by the most costly thing in the universe, and that is the blood of Christ himself on the cross. You didn't deserve it. Did you? You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We could never earn it or attain to it on our own. It was a gift, a gift of his grace. That's what grace is. He bestows on us favor and blessing and kindness that we do not deserve. We actually deserve the opposite. That's what grace is. He gives us what we don't deserve. And his part, uh, other part of that is his mercy. And his mercy is where he does not give us what we actually do deserve. So it comes out of that. It's a gift. He paid for it. He offers it to us. The Bible says we receive it by faith, by trusting in him. Uh, so the enemy can't stand that. And he wants nothing more than to steal your freedom. He wants you in bondage so bad. It's really all he thinks about. We know that from what the Bible tells us. He promises, and he's real slick about how it happens. He promises, listen to this, a false freedom. False freedom. Because he's a counterfeiter. A false freedom, and what that false freedom actually makes people think that it's real freedom, but it's actually false freedom, and it lures people into a deeper and into an ultimate bondage. And you know, the thought that comes from that sinful, corrupt nature that we all have, that we inherited from Adam and Eve, right? That sinful nature, that selfish nature that we all have. You see it, you know, in the, in the nursery. You see it in the nursing home. You know, it's, just, it's, it's part of that human part of us that was corrupted and cursed by sin. But that part of us that says, freedom. And we think it's like this. That I want to be free to do whatever I want to do, right? Whenever I want to do it. With whomever I want to do it. As long as no one gets hurt. The problem is, is when we operate like that, eventually everybody gets hurt. It's a lie. And so when we try to do that, it actually cancels out freedom all around. Now, we've already learned, if you remember back a few weeks ago, because see, it's kind of like if you just pop in and get a sermon here and there, uh, you, you really don't get what we're trying to do because we try to, uh, to, to do these where we're kind of flowing from one thing to another because we can't do it all. Our attention span and my abilities and everything else just can't do it all at once. But a few weeks ago, we were on this topic and we have been for a little over a month. But um, we're talking about freedom. Real freedom brings with it what? If you have freedom, if you have rights, it has to be accompanied by something. You remember what it is? Responsibility. Exactly. Responsibility. And without responsibility, we all lose freedom. And by the way, we see that happening even in the nation that we live in today. Uh, but the truth is, is we all tend naturally to be more selfish 
than we are responsible. Hmm? Yeah? So then what happens is we have chaos. And then to try to fix it, like governments will try to pass more and more rules and more and more laws, trying to make people be responsible in different ways, trying to enforce all that. And uh, they can impose all these different rules. And we keep seeing that happen in our land today and keep imposing more restrictions and more laws. But guess what? You can pass all the laws you want, but it doesn't change the human heart. We can make things that we think should be illegal, illegal, but you may not have really changed anything if the heart is not changed. We end up, you see, the thing about it is, is uh, drugs and substance like that are already illegal, but it hasn't stopped addiction and all the other problems that come with it, right? I mean, it's illegal to be intoxicated or high and get in your car and drive. But yet, and I need to be better about helping with this, uh, but uh, I know, you know when our yard work's done, it's probably amazing. Amen, brother? All the different, like, whiskey bottles and things that are right out here in this ditch that have to be picked up. I mean, it's like, you know, they ought to pass a law against this, right? <laughs> well, they have. I guess people like to throw it out before they get into town. Uh, but anyway, uh, this, so, so changing the laws doesn't change the heart. The heart is where the change needs to happen. Um, so, you know what? This is bad enough. This is bad enough when it relates to our civil and social life. But I want to tell you, it's much worse when this applies to our spiritual life. The same thing. Because understanding the gospel, are you hearing me? Understanding the gospel is all about understanding real freedom and what that is. There are so many lies out there today. And part of what happens is that some people feel like that in order to really follow the Lord, they feel the need to tack a huge list of rules onto the New Testament. That aren't actually there. They may go back to the old covenant. And grab some. And then they just make up some. And they, they need to put all these rules. To keep all of us in line. Yet none of that does anything to change the heart. Right? Because I can remember thinking. It's going to be hard for me to be a Christian. Because there were times that the main thing was harped upon. Wasn't a relationship with Jesus. It was guys how long your hair is. Now, I just got a good haircut by my barber, Kendall. But, um, you know, one thing is, is I, the longer it gets, the whiter it's looking, you know. And he puts that, like, smock over you. Is that called a smock? Is that what it is? A smock for a schmuck. Okay, well, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, he's cutting away. I'm looking. I'm like, whose hair is this? I said, man, you didn't shake this thing out, you know. Uh, Colonel Griffin must have been here before me or something like that. You know, you can get a white smock, okay, uh, because the dark one, the black one, I mean, it's like, that can't be me, but it was me. So you get it, you know, trimmed back so it doesn't look, you know, you know, it doesn't look quite, quite as bad and all. But I can remember, uh, I can remember, you know, I can remember being very, oh, you know, because I had that rebellious nature. You know, some of the Bible competition we had, there was one guy, he come after me, man. You want to know why? He told me, he says, I'm going to do everything I can do to get you, young man. And we'd had conflicts at youth camp before. But anyway, this guy had it in for me. He said, I'm going to do everything I can do to get you kicked out of here, get you disqualified. And I'm like, fine, I don't want to do it anyway. You want to know why? You know what the big sin was? My hair touched my collar. Ooh, you know. 
There was a right way to go about that and a wrong way to go about it, right? I, I told you, like, even I can remember in the 70s hearing preachers really get all and talking about, you know, mutton chops and si sideburns. What did that have to do with anything? I couldn't grow them anyway. I remember one time after getting a haircut, I wanted to save some of it and just kind of glue it on there just so I could look like the older guys. But, but we tack on all of these rules and all of these things trying to make us think and we, we don't change the heart of anyone. We wear the sleeves down long and, and, and the dress the right length and we do all of that, but the heart wasn't changed. But we were distracted from real truth and real freedom. Jesus said, Let's go back to this verse in John 8, 32. You will know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. And we understand what real freedom is and what it's really all about. Well, what's truth? What is truth all about? Well, he just said it the verse before. Jesus was speaking to, there were some of those Jews who actually believed in him and they were following him. And he said, if you abide in what? My word, you are my, truly genuinely my disciple. So his word. And he says, and you will know the truth. The truth is his word. His word is truth. And he tells us that again in John 17. And so the thing about it is, is we can't set ourselves free. And the reason why we can't set ourselves free is we're already in bondage. We're already slaves to sin. Others can't set us free because they're also slaves. But the son, the one is who, the, who is the heir the one who owns it all, he can set us free. Jesus used this as an illustration right there in that passage, right after verse 31 and 32, 33, verse 34. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. You're in bondage. Are you hearing this? Then he says, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. The slave is not the one in charge. The slave can't set other slaves free. But then he said this in verse 36. He said, but if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be really, really free. So he's saying he's the son. He has the authority to set you free from that bondage. And if the son sets you free, there's no one else that can contest it. Doesn't matter what, what those who are other people in bondage say. It doesn't matter what people from your past say. If the sun sets you free, you have real freedom. You will be really free. Free indeed. And the thing is, is wherever you find genuine truth that sets you free, as I said, you always find a counterfeit. And that's what Satan is. He's a counterfeiter. Now, you remember a counterfeit, the best counterfeiter, the best liar is a liar who tells a lie. It sounds like, most like the truth. It sounds sometimes better than the truth. And the best counterfeit, I mean, if I were going to make a counterfeit $100 bill, I probably wouldn't use regular paper. I've not like put a ton of thought into this, but I, can, I know what I wouldn't do. Uh, I wouldn't use regular paper and I wouldn't paint, paint it maroon or blue or, you know, ink. I, I wouldn't put Wayne Dixon's picture in there where Ben Franklin's needs to be. I mean, I just, you know, I think that would pass. Uh, things like that. So the, the thing is, the best counterfeit are the counterfeits that look and feel and, 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 and look just the most like the real thing. And that's what the enemy tries to do. You need to be aware of that. So the only way you're going to avoid being duped on this and brought back into bondage is you have got to saturate your heart and your mind with God's truth if you want to be free and stay free. And this is part of what we're going to be shifting into in the weeks ahead as we study this. Okay? 
uh, and about winning that battle in our mind and renewing our mind, all about repentance and all about sanctification. So um, no sooner did God's gospel of grace begin to spread among the Gentile world than a counterfeit gospel began to appear. And it was a mixture of law and grace. And it was bringing people back into bondage. Now, back over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this is exactly what the context is where Paul tells us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the context of that. If you read and look, and I want to look at this chapter, so make sure you have it open, uh, that you see that these people were, were doing this and, and they were discrediting Paul and they were trying to make themselves out to be something that was, you can tell more about them than anything. And uh, they were, by the way, called Judaizers. They were saying, you can't just trust Christ. You have to at least become part Jewish. And which was kind of a bummer because if you were a, a, a guy, that meant, you know, the circumcision and it meant a lot of the law, the legalistic stuff of the law that was all fulfilled in Christ uh, that you got. And so, you know, that was kind of like instead of trusting Christ completely, they were doing these other things. And the thing about it is, is, um, you know, human nature enjoys achieving religious goals, right? Are, are you watching this? It's something we do in our own strength and we can check those boxes off. Well, I did this and I did that and I didn't do that. We, it, it's part of our pride. I can do it all by myself, right? Watch this. It's much easier to measure religion than true righteousness in the heart. That's what the Pharisees did. They could, on the outside, wear the right stuff, say the right stuff, try to do the right things. But Jesus said inside, he says, you're like these, you're like these beautiful tombs here. He says, they're all whitewashed and they're painted and they're beautiful on the outside. But inside, they're full of all kinds of dead, corrupt, decaying stuff. Because he could look in the heart. And there are a lot of Christians nowadays, and we could all be this way. On the outside, man, we try to look the part. We try to walk the part. We try to talk the part and act it. But on the inside, we're as corrupt as anybody else. See, he would rather us be right on the inside and let them the inside take care of the outside later. Okay? It's, it's much easier to measure. Boy, we like to measure things. We like to compare, don't we? It's much easier to compare religion than true righteousness. So how did Paul refute this? Well, in this chapter, what he does is he begins to show the surpassing glory of the ministry of the gospel of grace. And he contrasted that to the old covenant law. The old covenant was good and it had its purpose, but it was all fulfilled. And now grace blows it away. He proved the superiority of God's new covenant and the real freedom that comes with it. And the big truth, of course, that jumps out of this is that now, which they didn't have then, that through Christ, we have freedom of access. We have access into the very presence and access into the very power of God. Any one of us, it doesn't matter who you are. This is the powerful thing. So as we look through this chapter, some things jump out at us. Okay, I'm going to throw them out there. Ready? First of all, the Spirit gives life and freedom. That's what he tells us. The Spirit gives life and freedom. So think about it. You're looking back in this. Whenever God gave the law, what did he do? Verse 3, he points out that he wrote it on tablets of stone. Remember? The Ten Commandments, God himself wrote it on tablets of stone and gave them all of these rules and all these things. And it was for a specific purpose. But now he says that the Spirit of God is writing these things in our heart. That's a big difference, right? Those tablets of stone were written by the finger of God and they were placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Remember? 
And even if the Israelites were able to read, and if they could read those two tablets, and they could read those ten rules that God gave, they might be informed, but that experience of reading it would not change their hearts. It didn't have any power to do that. The law is an external thing. The laws cause us to conform externally. But what we need is an internal power if our lives are going to be transformed because it happens from the inside out. And you know what? That's the test of freedom. See, the Spirit writes in our hearts. God's presence is in our hearts now. But the test of freedom is changed lives. How, see, because the thing is, is being free to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, it brings you into so much bondage. Man, we've seen it time and time again. But having freedom to overcome. Having freedom to overcome now. Things that have held you bound. The depression that keeps you bound. The anxiety that keeps you in bondage. The addiction. The fear. All the different phobias. All the different lies that we have now. The very power of God to overcome these things. And, a cha- and to change our lives. Words on a page, mere words, mere print, mere ink cannot change us. Okay? It is the spirit of the living God on the inside of us that changes us. Now, the word of God is more than just print on a page. Words on a page. It is more than just ink on a page because the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that it is alive and powerful and sharper than any double edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit. I don't know how you divide soul and spirit, but the Word of God does. In the very depths, it discerns our thoughts and our intentions and our attitudes. And so the word of God is more than page than a page with words on it. The word of God is the actual breath of God. It is inspired. That means God breathed. And guess what? It's not just words on a page that are God breathed and written down. The very author of these words wants to live in your heart and come inside you to empower you to think like this and to be like this and to have this relationship with him. See, it's different than anything else in the world. You can read the writings of all the philosophers. You can read the writings of all religious leaders from Muhammad uh, to uh, Buddha. You can read all the different writings involved in Hinduism and all of that, Eastern religions. But none of the people who wrote things can enter inside of you and help you understand them and live them. But when it comes to this, Most of those authors are dead and gone. But when it comes to this, the author is alive. (laughs) And he not only is alive, but he wants to enter into your very spirit in your soul. And he wants to help you understand and empower you to live his words. There's nothing like that. That's part of what Paul is trying to get at here. And being more focused on rules than relationship, it has a way of inflating people's egos, right? Because you can't necessarily see everything about my relationship with God. But you can see on the outside how I follow the rules. And and boy, if I really think I'm doing good, boy, I get proud of myself, you know. And I want to let you know. And if you don't don't compliment me, I'll remind you of just what all I've done, right? Yeah. You know, um, 
It's like us husbands do that all the time. If I happen to do something there in the house and clean something up, uh, even if it's kind of like something I said I would do, I, I want credit. I crave credit. Words of affirmation, my favorite, my, my biggest love language, right? And, and if I don't get it, I start fishing for them, right? Said, Did you see that? Well, I noticed this is all clean. wonder how that happened, right? I need credit. And that's the way our flesh is. It inflates our egos. When you emphasize the grace of God, though, watch this. You've got to tell people that they're lost sinners who cannot in any way save themselves. And mere external adherence to the letter of the law can't save you. There's got to be a heart change. There's got to be something more. That's why Christ died on the cross. You know, the law, Paul has pointed out and they're hearing in other places, the law was good. It's not that it was bad or that it was, you know, hey, it's failed somehow. It was, it was all according to the way God designed it. <clears throat> he says in Romans 7, 12, that the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Nevertheless, here's what he tells us in Romans chapter three, verse 20. Paul tells us that for by the works of the law, just these external adherence to rules, no human being will be justified in his sight. Justified means to be made right with God. Since, here's the purpose of the law, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So the basic purpose of the law was to be like a mirror that we look in and see, you know what? I don't look the way I'm supposed to. I, am not, I don't measure up. I am a sinner. And that's exactly what God said the purpose was. And then in Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, he tells us this. For we hold that, that one is justified by faith. How are you made right with God? Justified. By faith. That is by trusting God, relying upon him for everything. By faith apart from works of the law. So if you're feeling like, well, I've already blown it. I've already messed up. There's no hope for me. No, no, no. The fact that you can admit that you've already blown it and that you're a sinner puts you in a great position to experience the grace of God. That's the first thing that has to happen. See, all the other religions of the world try to start out trying to tell you how to take steps to try to achieve this or to arrive at that. But the gospel starts out by helping you understand that there's nothing you can do except be gracefully broken. And bow before him. And admit that you can't do it. Admit that you fall short of God's perfection. Admit that you're a sinner. And that you need what God himself provided on the cross. For your salvation. That's how it happens. That's what it's all about. It comes only through his mercy. And this. I love this verse right here. Titus 3.5. And, and this is a ministry of the Holy Spirit. Making this happen in us. Uh, it says in Titus 3.5. He saved us. Saved us from death, eternal death, separation from God, hell, sin, bondage. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. Hallelujah. Okay, that, I had to insert that there. Not by, because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By, so how do you do this? By the washing of regeneration. That word regeneration is not a word we use a lot. It means to be reborn. To be born again by the washing of the rebirth, the new birth, regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So what's happening is not only we receive this by faith, but God's presence, the Holy Spirit, enters into us and is washing us and purifying us and making us new. Yeah. 
Guess what? The Lord can teach an old dog new tricks. Amen? He can rewire our whole operating system in our mind. And this is what he does. We have to submit ourselves and surrender. But this is what he does. So the purpose of the law, as Romans 3.20 says, was to show us our sin and show us our bondage. It's a mirror that shows us how dirty we are. So the whole concept of faith and the whole, the whole concept of atonement or a covering for sin was already built into the law of trusting God because it showed that they could not do it. That's why all the sacrifices to cover were there, admitting the wages of sin is death. That was always there until Christ came and fulfilled all of that. So here's what happens. The lost sinner is like we're slain by the law. It's like it, it, it kills us spiritually. We, we are, in fact, we recognize we are spiritually dead. Because we're sinners. The law exposes our sin and leaves us helplessly condemned before God. And that has to happen before we can be saved by God's grace. Because otherwise you'll think you can save yourself. Now, the other thing is, he tells us here that still, I know to live the Christian life, I am not adequate. I am not qualified. I am not sufficient. But did you read on in verse 4? Our sufficiency comes from Christ. Look at it. He says, such is the confidence. You see, we have confidence that we have through Christ toward God. So because of Christ now in my life, I'm trusting in him. Now, guess what I can have? Confidence. Do you have confidence? He says that, not that he says we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. I recognize that, Paul says. See, Paul used to be a guy that was really hung up on that kind of thing. Did you know that? In his earlier life. But he says this. Look at verse 4. He says, but our sufficiency. And that word sufficiency could be translated our adequacy. Our qualification. Our sufficiency is from God. Like the old preacher said, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't call anybody who's adequate. He makes us adequate. Paul says, I know in myself I'm not adequate. My adequacy comes from God. <laughs> this is so powerful. Our sufficiency, our qualification, our adequacy is from God. Who has made us sufficient or adequate to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. Listen to what he says. The letter kills, the spirit gives life. All the letter of the law did was show that I was spiritually dead. It's the spirit of God that gives me life and freedom. It's got to be that way. And so Christians who constantly measure each other, comparing results and competing with each other, checking their little list, they soon discover they're depending on themselves and on the flesh and not the power of the Spirit. Only the grace of God, ministered by the very presence of God through the Holy Spirit, can transform our lives. I can't do it myself. Every time I try, I only do so well and I go right back like I was. Do you know what I think? I think some, a lot of people don't understand grace. I think for some people, like the most spiritual thing that happens to them at church is that being spiritual, they equate with carrying a load of guilt. If you've been forgiven, you're forgiven. And guess what? You're no longer guilty even. Did you know he not only removes the sin, he removes the guilt? Yeah. Now, wait a minute. I want to hang on to some of that. He says, no, that's not part of the deal because Christ became sin for you. He took the guilt and he paid for it. So now 
because of Christ, he can look at you and say, even though you are a dead sinner, guilty, now you are forgiven and not even guilty. He took the guilt away. But I think for some Christians, uh, that's, that's how they feel spiritual. That's how they feel, just, just, just make me feel so guilty so I feel somehow another spiritual. That's wrong. That's totally opposite to the gospel. That, in fact, is bondage. Did you know that? That's another bondage. So Paul's answer to the Galatians about freedom. Because he talks about in Galatians 5, do you remember that? If you haven't looked in Galatians 5, he talks about this conflict that goes on between, between my fleshly part of me, my selfish nature, and the Holy Spirit. There's like a battle. There's a conflict that goes on. There's a struggle. What was his answer for that? He tells us in, I don't have it up there, but in Galatians 5, 16, he says, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, so many times I'm like, oh, worried about, oh, the lust of the flesh. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be selfish. I'm going to be lustful. I'm going to be this. And I keep, but and I'm already thinking about it. I'm already concentrating on it. But he says, if you just put your focus on God and you walk in his power and yield to him, you not have to worry of thinking about this because you will not fulfill those. It's just like that negative thought. See, there we go. Our thoughts again, our negative thoughts. I'm thinking about what I shouldn't do and what I need to stop doing. And I'm not thinking about who he is and what he wants to do in my life. And because I'm just thinking about those things, I tend to want to repeat those things. He wants to take my mind and put it on him. And I yield to him and walk in his power and not in my own. And when I'm doing that, all those works of the flesh, all those selfish things, I'm not going to do them. And he gets the glory and he gets the credit because it's his power working in me. I mean, it's just awesome. All right. Paul goes on to tell us that the law lost its glory when compared to the greatness. And he goes on to talk about how you know how when Moses... Whenever he went up there and appeared before God and he saw part of the glory of God, you know, when he came down, remember what happened to Moses? His face was glowing. You remember that story? And the people were scared of him and Moses put this veil over his face. There's another place that a veil appears in the Bible. It's whenever they built the tabernacle in the very Shekinah presence of God, that glowing holy fire that we can't even understand what all it was, that it dwelt in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant, that they had a veil there that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place. And only one person, the high priest, after following all the rules and making all the right atonements, could go in there one time a year into the very presence of God. That's the way the old covenant was. The old covenant kind of shut you out. Uh, so he's, he's saying that the law lost its glory when it's compared with grace. Now the grace uh, of God is like, it's like the brilliance of the moon fades when the sun rises. You know what I'm saying? And now you got to understand, Paul's ministering in what we call an overlap period. Because even though Christ has died and been resurrected and ascended back into heaven, Pentecost has come and the church has begun. Yet it was a few years here until AD 70 that many of the Jews were still going about their motions. They were still doing their sacrifices. They were still going to the temple. But in AD 70, the Roman general Titus marched into Jerusalem and destroyed everything. And the temple was gone and the sacrifices stopped and they haven't started back. All of that ended short time after that. But even now, Paul says, there's people still trying to go about it in the way that God's already fulfilled and they're missing the truth and they're missing the freedom. And he's what he says is this. Another thing about freedom, we gotta move quickly. Freedom brings boldness. Look what he says. Now we're getting into our text finally. He says in verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. The hope that we have is the joyful anticipation that we have of God fulfilling everything he said. And because of that hope of the gospel, we have boldness. Not like Moses, he says. 
Now, Moses was a very bold and courageous man, but not like Moses, he says in verse 13, are you looking at it? Who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So, you know, the glory would fade, he'd go back in, and then he would have to cover it. So it tells us back there in, in Exodus chapter 34 that when he would come out among the people, he'd wear this veil over his face so they wouldn't see his face glowing. But when he went back in the very presence of God uh, to get instruction, he was writing down the law, he would take the veil off because he was in the presence of God. Then he would put it back on. He says, we're not like that. We're not like that. Uh, that they might not gaze. And, and that was coming to an end, he said. That was fading out. But what we have is forever. It's permanent. <laughs> he says there, verse 14, their minds were hardened. For to this day, and it was going on in his time, they were meeting in synagogues around different places. They were reading the Old Covenant. They were reading the Old Testament. It says, it's like that same veil. You, you see it, he uses an illustration. In verse 14, he says, that same veil remains unlifted. It's like this lift. They can't see the glory. They can't hear even in their own word, the truth. They can't see the gospel. They can't get the freedom because then he says this only through Christ is it taken away. It's only through Christ that it's taken away. That's the only way that, that it happens because we find this, that bondage is a problem of the heart. He goes on to say that through Christ, it can be taken away. Yes, verse 15, look at it. To this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But he kind of repeats this because we need to get it. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He made a point. The problem was not with the old covenant. The problem was with the heart. Those who were unwilling to be broken over sin, confess it and repent of it. They're never going to experience God's new covenant blessings. It's only when you turn to the Lord and that word turn to the Lord. Did you know the word repent literally means to turn, to have a change that you turn from your own self and doing your own thing. And you turn to the Lord that when you make the decision to do that, whoosh, the veil is gone. So there are some people, because their hearts are hard and because they're just focusing on themselves, they can't see it. They don't get it. And it ached Paul's heart that many of the people that he loved, they couldn't get it. They couldn't see it. It's like that veil was still there. But when you turn to Christ, then through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the veil is lifted. And that's why he says, and, and by the way, no one can turn to Christ except through the work of the Holy Spirit as he draws us. And that's why it leads right into verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Did you get that? The Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit's not some it. The Spirit's not just some force. It's God. God the Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One essence, three persons. This is another verse that emphasizes the deity of the Holy Spirit. All right? So this is the very presence of God. So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not, but they're all God. It's deep. And I'm telling you, that's who our God is. If you try to figure it out, you'll lose your mind. If you deny it, you lose your soul. I wouldn't want to have a God that I could process in this thing right here. He's greater than that. But you know, Seth talked on it last week, but even when Jesus was saying that I'm going to send the helper, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now I've been right here physically with you, but when I go away, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit. He's also called the spirit of Christ. He's called the spirit of truth. Uh, he said, I'm going to send him and he's going to abide in you. 
So that's true. The Holy Spirit is a person of God abiding in us. But did you notice, and Seth read this last week in John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And listen to this, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So he just said that the comforter is going to make his home in you. But he said, me and the father are also making our home. And because God is one. You see, so it's the presence of God. It's not just some force of God. It's not just something. It is God himself living in you. God, the spirit, the Holy Spirit. You need to understand who this is. There's a lot of preachers out there preaching and teaching like the Holy Spirit is just some kind of force that you wield like Luke Skywalker. It's a he. It's God. God, the spirit. He's living in you. And that's why he says the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. And this freedom, now let's bring it home, gives us access. It gives us access. In the Old Testament, only Moses saw the glory and he had to hide it from everybody else. After the tabernacle was built, are you following me? Only the high priest went into the holy holies of holies and only he saw the glory. But guess what? Today, because of Christ, each and every one of us can enter into the direct presence of God and his presence is in us and we can behold in our hearts his glory. The veil has been torn. When Jesus died on the cross, the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was ripped from top to bottom and that way is open. And he says this, he says uh, that um, in verse 18, and we all, did you hear that? With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. We all, we have access, folks. Here's what he's saying. There's freedom of access. Do you realize who you are? You don't have to go through me or some priest or somebody else. You have access. You do because of Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says we have boldness to go, to go before the throne of grace and we can do it confidently because of the blood of Jesus. Think about it. The high priest trembling, hoping he'd done everything right to go behind that veil. Think about Moses hiding the glory and the people trembling because they were afraid to look at it. But now you, but now you because of Jesus, because of the spirit of God in you, you can approach the very glory of God. You have access to the throne room of God himself. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 2.18. Because he's talking about Jew and Gentile and how God has brought everyone together into one family. Amen. Through the cross. We're not supposed to be segmented. We're one. He says, for through him, speaking of Christ, we both, Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, we both have access. Did you hear that? What's that word? Access. How do we have access to God? In one spirit, we have access to the Father. You have access. Do you realize that? If I told you the president or the most important person in the world, you could have access, you could talk to him, you could approach his, his office anytime. And it's like, wow, that would be amazing. But when I say that the God of the universe who created all things and holds it together, you have access to his very presence, it's like no big deal. How is that? He goes on to say in Romans 5, 2, for through him, speaking of Christ, we also have obtained access. How do we obtain this access? By faith. By trusting in him. Do you trust him? By faith into this grace. It's the grace of God that saves us. It's our faith that receives it. 
into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We've obtained access and you will realize that access when you put your faith in his grace. And we go on to Ephesians 11, uh, chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. He tells us this was according to the eternal purpose. So this was God's purpose all along. Even before creation, this was God's purpose. The eternal purpose that he has realized or it has come to fruition in Christ. That he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness. Remember that? And what? Access with confidence through our faith in him. If you're trusting him because of what Jesus did, you yourself have access that they could only dream about. And the last thing is this freedom then empowers transformation. That's what he says that we are in verse 18 with unveiled face. We behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. We're being transformed into that image. He's, that word transformed is a Greek word metamorpho. It's the same word that was used to describe Jesus when he was transformed on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a metamorphosis that he wants to start on the inside of us and changing us on the inside. It is this, listen, not only do you have access to the very presence of God, but God's glorious presence has access to your heart through the Holy Spirit. And that's what empowers change. And that's what brings freedom. That's what brings real freedom to set you free from all lies, to set you free from all bondage, to set you free to approach the throne of grace anytime you want, anywhere you want. It is God's spirit that empowers change in our thinking. It changes my attitude. It changes ultimately my actions. And so the question is, am I radiating the glory of God? If I can be before him because of the spirit of the Lord, there is freedom and I have free access into his glory. Am I like Moses? Am I radiating? Do I have the veil on? And we've had this big mask controversy. People don't want to wear a mask. But the truth is, in symbolically speaking, we've been wearing masks to church for a long time. We've been covering up, haven't we? God wants to get rid of all that. And to know that you, yourself, because of Jesus... With all of your imperfections paid for by his death on the cross, you can stand completely open, unguarded before him. I mean, naked. Not so much physically, but emotionally, spiritually, before God. And he says, I accept you based on what my son did on the cross. And you can stand in his presence and have his presence in you. You can have a full relationship with that glorious God who they could only learn so much about in the old covenant because we're living in these days of this covenant that was written by the blood of Jesus. Are we radiating the glory of God? So the goal of law is outward conformity. The result of grace is inward transformation into the image of Christ. And let me tell you, that's where freedom is. That's what the Holy Spirit's all about. The Holy Spirit is obsessed with helping you and me think and act and become more like Jesus. And that's when we're truly free, free to be who God created you to be, free to enjoy him, free to become. Are you ready to be free? Let's pray. Father.